Welcome to the Business Leader Podcast. My name is Serena, and today our guest is a partner at Local Globe and Latitude, and a board member at Innovate Finance. She is a founding member and VP at ImpactX Capital, a venture capital firm investing in companies led by underrepresented founders at the seed and Series A stages. Previously a senior investment manager at Mitsui & Co, she led over $200 million in investments in companies including TransferWise and has played a pivotal role in leading a wide range of investments in companies such as Marshmallow whilst at ImpactX. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to receive the latest episodes. We'd love to hear your feedback. Email questions at businessleader.co.uk to get in touch. And now it's time to welcome Yvonne Bajella to the podcast. Welcome Yvonne, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you, it's an absolute pleasure to join you today. So I just want to ask you a question about what your journey looks like and kind of from your your early years, so those school years um, up until now, what your motivation to get into investment was and how you ended up getting to the position that you're in now. What does that journey look like? Yeah, sure. So a really funny story. When I was younger, my dad actually used to make us read The Economist and Financial Times. So instead of playing out at the age of eight, I was at home reading these massive publications. And I think from then, very early on, it set in me the real thinking that I could literally change the world from a financial perspective. So I was also very good at maths growing up. So I always knew that, you know, I was going to do something within financial services. When I went to university, studied economics. Then, you know, got my first role in investment banking. It was what everyone was doing at the time. Didn't really consider any other options. Realized very early on that that wasn't for me. And, you know, one thing I really liked was working with companies. And so I actually decided to go into strategy consulting, which is where I spent quite a few years um, after working in investment banking. And that was great because I was working directly with, you know, corporates. Uh, You know, every corporate says they're innovative, but in reality, that's not always the case. And so it was really just helping executives think through that and also, you know, handholding them along their journey as they would go and acquire technology companies and so on. It wasn't until I actually went on a trip to Ghana. Really funny story, but sat next to someone on the plane who literally told me about the world of venture capital. And it was around the time when there was this whole Africa rising narrative. And so when I went to Ghana, which is where I'm from, I decided that I was going to like immerse myself into the startup ecosystem, which was very early around the time. This was back in 2013. And I think from there, that's when I really decided, wow, this venture capital ecosystem is so interesting and decided to pursue my path within the industry. I just want to come back to the beginning of that story where you said when you were younger, you would be sitting around reading, you know, the Financial Times or reading different publications when other kids were outside playing. So did you have role models in your life at that point in time that motivated you to going into the industry that you're now in? Because there is, you know, the issue of young girls who are unlikely to go into STEM subjects, for example. So were there many role models? What was that motivation, do you think? Yeah, I mean, interestingly, in terms of role models, it was really just my parents, right? So mom and dad both came to this country from Ghana and I've seen them literally as I've grown up come from having nothing to, you know, being where they, they are. Um, unfortunately, you know, my father did pass away a few years ago, but he's someone that I really do look up to. He was also very good at maths. And so I think naturally that that passed on to me. He would make it really exciting growing up. And, you know, just being immersed in the world of finance from such an early age, 
for me, it wasn't really about role models. I just really had an interest in the world of financial markets. Yeah, that's interesting to hear that you sort of followed your passion and, and what you were good at. But for anyone that's listening that doesn't understand exactly what a venture capitalist does, what does a day in the life of yourself look like? Well, this is the beauty of it. No two days look the same. So it really depends on the need of the company. A large share of my time is spent with, you know, companies that I've already invested in, um, you know, sourcing companies to invest in. Because essentially as a venture capital investor, what we're trying to do is invest in companies in exchange for equity, but provide a lot more support than just the cash that we're providing, right? And so on any given day, you could be helping a company with anything from recruitment to to sales strategy to helping them raise more money. Like it really, really varies depending on the need of a company. And as they grow, those needs change as well quite significantly. And we mentioned in your introduction that you are a senior investment manager at Mitsui & Co. And you are the youngest investment manager across 90,000 global employees within that group. And that is quite a big label to have. Were you ever intimidated by these various positions that you were in? Or did you feel largely very comfortable in those positions whilst you were with them? What was your frame of mind like? Yeah, so um, really, really interesting. I'd say that my role at Mitsui was quite pivotal because for me, it was like the first time I entered into this whole investment world and didn't really know what I was getting myself into, I guess. (laughs) So yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely felt imposter syndrome at times, but you have to push through those moments, right? One thing I always remind myself is even the likes of Serena Williams, the greatest tennis player of all time, arguably suffers with imposter syndrome michelle obama suffers with imposter syndrome so it's not about how like you have an imposter syndrome but it's how you overcome that and so yes there were certainly moments of time where i felt like i was completely out of my depth but i always managed to find a way to push through whether that would be you know finding those that you know have been at the farm for x amount of years to really help me navigate my way through that uh when i was managing teams globally as well it was really around really just like leveraging the expertise of others and, and finding your tribe within an organization. That for me proved absolutely invaluable. Touching on the work that you do with investment, and you mentioned there that a part of your day-to-day life is looking for, I guess, the next big thing when it comes to business, looking for the business that's going to take off. What do you typically look for in a business when you're deciding to invest in them? Yeah, so I think for me, like one of the key things, given that I invest at the very early stages, it's really about the people, right? So it's about the team. You know, do they have a unique insight that no one else has? Do they have the grit? Do they have that X factor? It's the best way I can describe it, really. Because running a business is hard. You're going to face bumps and hurdles along the way. So finding someone that's like obsessively passionate about solving a problem is absolutely key. Because then when those bumps and hurdles do hit, they've got the mission. They, they know where they want to get to. They know the problem that they're trying to solve, right? And, and that will see them through even when those hurdles and bumps do come along. So yeah, I, I spend a lot of time with the individuals prior to, you know, investing in companies. Obviously, sometimes rounds move a lot quicker whereby you don't get to spend as much time as you would like, but it's absolutely critical. Um, you know, it's really a decision mostly based on the team. Would you say the team and the way the team operates is even more important than, say, like the product or service itself? Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it's there's not even a team, right? It's an individual. They've got an idea or they've had a really unique insight into a problem they want to solve. 
let's take Uber, for example, like sometimes it's really difficult to estimate the size of a market. And so for that very reason, it's really a bit on the person. Do I believe that this market is potentially big enough? Um, yes, it, it, it's a determination as to whether I invest. But again, it's really coming back to the team. That's absolutely key. What would you say is the difference between a business that does make it and a business that doesn't from your experience of looking at all the different types of businesses in different industries? Um, I think, you know, businesses fail for a number of reasons, um, particularly in this current environment that we're in. One of the key reasons why businesses do fail is because they run out of cash, right? Other reasons may be timing may, may not be right. So if you look at Google, one of the largest search engines in the world, before Google, there were many search engines, right? Many that we've never heard of because it, the timing just wasn't right or, you know, the product just wasn't as slick. So I think timing is also a big factor. Running out of cash. I mean, there's, there's multiple reasons, but they're two of the reasons I've, I've tended to see. Because timing is such an important aspect of being in the right place at the right time and, and you being able to scale and grow and relate to the environment around you is, you know, an aspect of your business succeeding just to do with the luck? Or do you think there is something to say about just really being able to understand your environment and pick a right time to pounce? Yeah, I think um, it really does help when founders have a unique insight. So whether they have a lived experience, you know, working in a particular industry or they've experienced a problem themselves um, as a consumer, whatever it may be, having that lived experience can, can really help. Oftentimes, founders that do have that unique insight, I think it just lends in their favor. In terms of timing, sometimes you just you just can't predict, right? You can have a vision. For example, there's a company that I spoke to within the VR space probably like five years ago. Five years ago, the headsets were really clunky. The market just wasn't there. Whereas today, you're seeing companies like metaverse companies, et cetera, really, you know, gaining very good traction. So I think timing does really play uh, a role into it. But yeah, I think having that deep insight into a particular problem is, is absolutely key. People have this idea of attempting to achieve investment being that dragon's den scenario, but now it's becoming more widely accepted of that relationship being a partnership between an investor and a business owner. So what kind of questions can a business owner ask a investor to really find out whether they're the right investor for them? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really, really good question. Um, oftentimes, I always say that, you know, when you're looking for investors, it's a two-way thing. Like, you should be looking to see whether they're a good fit as well as the investor um, doing the assessment on their end as well. I think you just want alignment, right? So as an entrepreneur, you've got your vision, you've got an idea of where you want to take your business. And it's really important that, you know, the investor's aligned. Also, do you even enjoy working with the person? Do you see yourself working with the person, right? Because, you know, typically this journey when we're investing as a venture capitalist lasts for, you know, seven to 10 years. Can you see yourself like working with this person over that period? If the answer is no, then maybe they're not the right investor for you. And also just doing reference calls, right? Reference calls with other entrepreneurs that have raised money from the investor can be really, really valuable. In those initial conversations and even the initial pitch, how can a business really grab the attention of investors? Is that something that you've noticed that's just a really good skill to have in that initial conversation? I think for me, um, it's really just 
demonstrating that insight that you have to this problem, why, you know, the entrepreneur is a person that needs to solve it. Like what gives you that edge over other people within the market that may be also looking at solving the problem? Being able to articulate yourself, again, is really, really important. And I always say this, right, like being an entrepreneur, you're essentially like selling continuously selling to investors to try and get them to buy into your business you're selling to future employees to try and get them to invest in your business like you're constantly selling so having the ability to do that is absolutely key so if you need to get like a pitch coach and do that but it's it's really important that you have the ability to start just articulate what you're trying to do articulate that vision and a great example I can share is a company that I looked at a few years ago. It's in the supply chain space, not the most exciting space. And the entrepreneur got me so excited that after the call, I went and spent like three hours just researching the space because that energy that he had on the call shifted over to me. And I was like, wow, this space is so interesting, a space I'd never really spent much time looking at. So that's the kind of infectious energy that I want when I come with the call to founders that make me say, right, this is an industry that I absolutely need to invest in. It's interesting to hear you say that the business owner really does have a very important part of really lighting that flame of interest in your mind. In that same vein, do you then think that a business owner needs to be a very extroverted, charismatic person to be able to achieve investment? Yeah, no, I think that can definitely help. Um, however, I mean, some of the entrepreneurs I've worked with have been introverts, but, you know, they know their stuff. They know how to share that vision with investors. So I wouldn't say like it's an absolute must. Um, entrepreneurs come in all different shapes and sizes. Would you say that through all the businesses that I've pitched to you and, and the businesses that you've worked with and you're investing with as well, that there is a common flaw that stagnates a business in some kind of way? Um, I wouldn't say um, there's a common one. I think there's multiple reasons and multiple ways in which like companies do stagger. I mean, sometimes entrepreneurs get burnt out. There's, there's just so many reasons. And so one of the things that I always try to assess is, are you really in this for the long run? Do you see yourself doing this in like five, 10 years? So that's always something that I try to establish really upfront. I think it really helps to be open and transparent to your investors. Um, so a lot of entrepreneurs will tend to send out like an update, whether it's quarterly or monthly. And just being really transparent about where you are in the business is really, really key. Because as you send those investor updates, like we as investors, we want to help where we can be helpful. And so if you're currently facing a challenge, it's more helpful that you share that with us, that we can look to see how we can offer you support as opposed to you just keeping it to yourself and trying to navigate it yourself. So I think being open and transparent with investors is, is really, really important. The global economic space is changing quite rapidly and will continue to for the foreseeable future. But how do you think the investment space might change as a result of the global economic crisis? So I think that this is a really interesting time. I think great companies continue to be built throughout any economic downturn and, and so on. So that's that's really my focus. Over the last year, market obviously was moving at a really rapid pace. Deals were getting done with very little time to do diligence and, and so on. And I think now we're in an environment where there's a lot more time for investors and entrepreneurs to get to know each other during that initial like phase before investment. And, you know, there's opportunity for some really great businesses to be built. If you look back at 2008, where the likes of, you know, Uber, for example, and Airbnb were built, 
this was in the midst of the financial crisis. We're now facing an, a new period of, you know, an economic downturn. And, and I, I believe we're going to see some great companies come out of that. That's a very optimistic outlook. And do you think that there is potential for a global recession and economic crisis to weed out the companies that have, you know, systemic issues or flaws and kind of pave the way for the stronger businesses, which could eventually lead to an overall stronger business economy? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, venture capital is in the business of funding for the long term. So we're looking for those 10 year outcomes. Right. And so we don't pay so much attention to economic downturns. Obviously, um, raising funding within this environment is definitely going to be tougher. And because of that, it means that those companies that do end up to get funded oftentimes are really, you know, building something quite incredible. Um, So as I mentioned, really excited to see what comes out of this period. What I would suggest to entrepreneurs is just just continue building, right? Don't be distracted by what's going on. If you have a problem to solve, keep building for those customers and really just focus on that. This economic condition will be a lot more challenging for business owners to achieve funding potentially. But uh, what can business owners do to continue to achieve funding despite uncertainty? Um, I think if you're going to raise funding, the market's definitely a lot more conservative. So I think it definitely helps to essentially really just focus on the fundamentals, right? Really just focus on the problem that you're trying to solve. Don't get distracted by trying to build like too much in one go. Really just think about the customers, the end users and what you're trying to achieve there. Really figure out like how you can build something that's sustainable, over the last few years, it's kind of been like growth at all costs, but now there's a lot of focus on, you know, what are your margins? What's your unit economics? And so that's something that I think entrepreneurs should look to also have in mind as well, um, just given the environment that we're in. But yeah, ultimately, just have your head down, keep building. It's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's really good advice. And it's nice to have a level of optimism going forward, definitely. I do want to come to your work with ImpactX Capital because you are one of the founding members. Why did you feel there was a need for a venture capital firm like ImpactX Capital? Yeah, so this started out back in 2019. And I guess if you look at all the data, right, so less than you know, 1% of funding has gone to black entrepreneurs, for example, if you look at funding that's gone to female entrepreneurs, the numbers are not any more positive. And so there's definitely a massive disparity in funding there. The work we set out to do was to really bridge that gap in funding and prove out that you can invest in underrepresented entrepreneurs and achieve outstanding returns. And what kind of implications do you think that has if there aren't a diverse group of people with an investment and making those decisions yeah i mean what i always say is you know if you look at all the most valuable companies in the world today amazon's your metas of the world these are all companies that have been funded by venture capital right in their very early days and so venture capital does have a massive impact on on the world that we live in if we want a world where products and services are truly representative of the world that we're living, we need to ensure that we're funding underrepresented groups as well in order for those products and services to be built. And so that's something that I really do strongly believe in. And we are seeing changes. We're seeing, you know, more and more funding, more and more funds exist that, that are 
trying to really spend more time investing in unrepresented entrepreneurs. And my hope is that, you know, we're no longer talking about this in, say, 10, 15 years time or even 50 years time. It, there's no disparity in funding. And, and, you know, products and services are actually truly representative because the funding is going to a diverse range of entrepreneurs. What do you think a solution is to getting more people from diverse backgrounds into those decision-making roles? Because I guess those people tend to come from finance backgrounds or be business owners themselves. But what can we do as a society to encourage people from those groups to really think about going into investment? Yeah, I think we need um, more more role models. I think that there's various programs that exist now, such as Nutri Venture Program, whereby you know people can really learn more about the venture ecosystem. I mean, when I was growing up, I didn't even know what venture capital was, right? <laughs> and so, just having more and more visibility can really help in, in terms of bringing a new generation of investors into the ecosystem. We are, again, starting to see that happen, particularly at the junior level, and really excited that over the next few years, we'll start to see more and more more decision makers um, within the ecosystem from diverse backgrounds. I've spoken a lot about your, your successes, but has there been, you know, periods of time when you've had to deal with much failure as a result of, you know, the risks involved in, in being a venture capitalist, but also just on a personal basis as well. What are some examples of those and, and how have you dealt with them when they've come up? Yeah, I think um, whether it's personal or whether it's, you know, companies I've worked with, every experience you just learn from, you try and figure out, you know, what have I learned within this situation? What can I, you know, do in the future? And really just try to, to use the experience to make the next situation much better. A really good example is one of my very first investments, actually, that I made back in 2015 was in a company that was looking to provide cybersecurity services. And the company didn't go on to do well, right? But you just learn within those moments to continue to support the founder. Maybe this business is not the one, but, you know, the founder went on to build an absolutely incredible business. So I think it's just really key to in life that whenever you have moments where things don't go to plan, you don't dwell on them. You just look at what you learned from that situation and how you can use that experience and apply it to better yourself in the future. For example, like the cybersecurity business that you invested in at that period of time, the example that you use, what is a factor that comes into play if they end up failing? Is there usually one thing that leads to that failure? It's quite varied. I think um, I think one thing about the world of venture is you learn a lot over time. You learn a lot from, you know, the companies that you invest in that don't go on to do um, well or go on to be as planned. And it's just about taking those experiences and really learning. Reasons can really vary, as I've touched on before. So some companies, it's because, you know, they run out of funding before reaching product market fit. For some companies, it's, you know, the entrepreneur is like completely burnt out. It can really, really vary. Like sometimes the customer sales cycle just takes a lot longer than you had hoped. But I think as time and time goes on as an investor, you start to see general trends around, okay, we've tried to do this. Maybe we should try this now. Um, this hasn't worked with this business. So let's take the lessons we've learned here and apply it to, to here. So 
Hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, <laughs> I guess one of the great things about the industry is that you're always learning. Like there's new ways of doing things all the time. And what worked even in one business may not necessarily always work with another, right? And so it, it's a constant learning cycle. From your experience of working with business owners and different teams, is there something that you think is really important for a business to, to instill within themselves that can prevent them from getting to that point of failure? There's just so many reasons why a business can fail, right? And so I think like the best thing to do is surround yourselves with others in the industries. Like if you can find peers, for example, that are on the same journey as you, that you can leverage off their experience, building a great team. So if you're building a team, try and bring on board people that come with experience of building out, if it's a sales function, building that sales function in a, another company, for example. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very difficult to say because there's just so many reasons why a business can fail. From your work with business owners uh, and business leaders, would you say that you've identified a most effective way to lead? I think just being open and transparent about the challenges you're facing. I think knowing as well, and this is something that's really big, actually, just knowing that you can't do everything yourself, like as a business is growing or you're looking for it to scale, you don't have all the skills that's required to build a business, right? And so just having that ability to delegate and say, actually, these are my blind spots. These are the areas I need to hiring or, you know, looking for that external counsel where it makes sense to really help you on a particular area that you may find challenging or maybe it's not the expertise that the company has in-house, I think is really, really important. Just being very self-reflective and having the ability to understand, okay, these are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. Who can I bring on board to really fill in the gaps of those weaknesses? And how can I really ensure that those strengths I'm, I'm really doubling down on? So I think being very reflective and having that view on who you are as a leader is really, really important. I just want to touch on something that we have spoken about a little bit, which is that relationship and partnership between an investor and a business owner. I'm just wondering from your experience, what kind of challenges can arise from that relationship? From an investor and entrepreneur perspective, I think that's why it's so important to just like check the alignment very early on. You know, I've been in situations where there is that misalignment and, you know, the investor may not necessarily agree with the direction the founder's going. And that's okay, right? Not always going to agree on everything. But having an investor along the journey with you that even if they don't necessarily agree with you, are still going to continue to support you is really, really important. I've been in situations where that's not always the case. And so, just spending time with investors, like doing that two-way diligence before you actually invest in the company is really, really key. Is it then really important for the investor and the firm as well as the business to have compatible cultures as well? Would you say that is, is almost integral? And, and if they do have different cultures, then that kind of relationship just could go into being quite fragmented. Yeah, particularly when, you know, challenging periods or challenging scenarios occur, that's oftentimes where you'll spend most of your time with investors, right? And so having that value alignment or around how you see things, like what type of people you want to bring around the table as you go to raise further funding rounds, like how you deal with situations when it comes to like the wider team and so on. Having investors that you know you can like pick up the phone and speak to about anything and just like get an honest view is actually really important. So some of the entrepreneurs I work with, 
they will literally call me at say midnight and just be like, Hey, Ron, would love to get your thoughts on, you know, this challenge I'm currently facing, or I'm thinking about hiring a new person. Like, what do you think about, you know, this job spec? Let me know if there's anything missing. Just having that open dialogue, having that ability to just talk about anything, but also knowing that there's that value alignment can really, really help. We're coming to the end of the podcast, but I do want to touch on your work as a non-executive director. You're currently working as an NED for Innovate Finance, but previously you were an NED for Harbourvest Partners. What would you say is the power in a business having a non-executive director within the company? Yeah, very good question, actually. So obviously Harbourvest is a publicly listed company, so that's like the highest level of governance that you're really going to get. With early stage startups, I don't think it always necessarily makes sense to have a board particularly before raising a Series A round. Obviously, it depends on the nature of the business. For example, if it's a regulated business, then I think it can make a lot of sense. But sometimes you don't want to bring on board like too much governance, particularly in that early phase when companies are still figuring things out. They haven't really reached product market fit or they're still trying to get their initial customers. Sometimes I think that having that board could be just an an overkill. Um, However, what's really important is, you know, having regular touch points with your investors. That could be like a quarterly meeting where it's not necessarily a board, but you still do all that reporting and so on. But it's not as intense as the board will be from a reporting requirement. As the company grows, I think it's really, really important to have a board. We've all seen what happened with FTX and, and the fact that they didn't have a board for such a large financial institution. And so I think as the company grows, bringing in that governance is very, very important because that kind of sets the culture of the company. And so not having that at the right stage can prove to be quite damaging, really, as the company grows and scales. And within the world of startups, companies can go from like 20 employees to like a thousand within very little time. Um, so it can really help having, having that governance and, and the support of a board. Maybe some business business owners might be skeptical about the idea of having this independent figure who's challenging decisions being made. But what is the strength in having somebody who's working in your interest, but also really challenging and, and holding ideas to scrutiny? I think that's the beauty of it, right? Someone that comes with that outside perspective that's not necessarily involved in the day to day, but is able to like have that view from an outside perspective and just say, look this is how you're doing things, maybe you should, you know, consider this or consider that. I think that can be really, really powerful. And that's the value that I see boards bring in, like that oversight, that that governance and that level of challenge, like that healthy challenge. So it doesn't have to be like an unhealthy, challenging relationship, right? I think every entrepreneur should welcome that, that healthy challenge from people that come with that outside perspective, but can also be really valuable. That's something that should absolutely be welcomed all the time. That's a really good bit of insight. Thanks, Yvonne. And that does bring us to the last section of the podcast now. And we finish every podcast with a segment called Answer the Internet. And this is where we scour the internet for the questions that the public needs the answers to. And this question is from Reddit, and it's from a user called Richard13245. And they ask, why do business owners need investors if they have a steady stream of revenue? Very good question. Um, venture capital is not for every business. Um, there's businesses out there that you know have gone on to really thrive and, and scale without raising external funding. I think it's really, really important for entrepreneurs to really think about 
the various types of funding that are available and figure out whether, you know, raising from angel investors or venture capital investors makes sense for them. Because as we've discussed today, it is a long term relationship. You're in it for like seven to 10 years. You may have to like create a board, probably like when you reach that Series A stage and beyond. And so you want to make sure that that's something that aligns with what you want to do. So absolutely not necessary. Um, It's a decision about the type of business that you want to build. And you can build great businesses that make money without raising venture capital funding. That's really good insight. Thanks, Yvonne. Um, Not every business needs an investor. And our next question, we are School of Our Guests and we are Business Leader Magazine. So this question is, what makes a great business leader? For me, it's someone that leads with the people. Um, I always say that like servant leaders make the best leaders. Um, Someone that leads with empathy, someone that leads with, you know, wanting to also do the best for their team. At the end of the day, if you're building a company without the people in the company, there would be no business, right? And so it's absolutely key that you're doing right by those people as well. Yeah, definitely. The people are important in a business. Um, So yeah, that's definitely very important. Thanks, Vaughn. And do you have any final words for our audience? And and also, where can they find you online on social media if they want to send a pitch to you, if that's something that they can do? uh, Where can they find you? Yeah, so it's uh, Yvonne Bergella across all channels. Thank you so much.